Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you this morning. Well, this morning we're going to talk about um, entering God's rest. So that will be from Hebrews chapter 4, if you'd like to turn there with me. But um, what comes to mind when you think of rest? A number of things uh, may pop up for you. Um, actually, I was thinking how my childhood experiences have shaped my thinking regarding the idea of rest. So I have a few of those to share with you this morning. My earliest memory of rest was in kindergarten. Um, kindergarten, um, there was a time when all 30 of us kids were told by the teacher, it's time to take a rest. And we all had our little, anybody else, had the little carpets that we take to our place in the room and lay on our carpet. And you learn not to pop your head up because the teacher is watching, you know. And so that taught me something about rest. Uh, another memory is when uh, something my mother used to say when I was a child. I, uh, I, my dad would get into these heated debates about political things with other family members. And, I mean, they were getting into it. And I remember my mother coming around the corner and uh, she would say to my father, Honey, give it a rest give it a rest. So that taught me something a little bit about rest. Another me memory I had was when um, I used to be brought to these haunted houses during Halloween. Anybody, you know, the, the kids, the, the, the teens were into like making up haunted houses and, you know, and I'd go over with, uh, my friends would bring me over and they'd have all these fake tombstones in the front yard and they all said R.I.P., R.I.P., R.I.P. And I, I remember thinking as a kid, how many guys could be called Rip that had, that, had been, that had died, you know? And then it finally occurred to me, rest in peace. So that taught me something about rest. Um, also, as a kid, we took a lot of family vacations. And so I've been to a lot of rest stops. Rest, who likes rest stops? I mean, back when I was a kid, the coffee, they were serving free coffee at the rest stops. Anybody remember? So, you know, my Dutch side is still hoping for free coffee every time I go there, but it taught me something about rest. One more memory um, that taught me about rest was in high school, I was in the band, in the trumpet section. And you, remember, you, you learn that if there's a squiggly mark on the sheet music, that's a rest. How many of you have seen those? That's a rest. That means you don't make a sound. You stop playing. And if you blow it, literally, in the trumpet section, everybody knows you're the guy that wasn't paying attention because you're, you know, on the rest. So that taught me um, some things about rest, that there's a time, you know, to rest. But, um, you know, who doesn't like rest? Amen? Some of us like rest maybe a little too much. And we look for every opportunity to take a nap. But Ecclesiastes says, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. There's a time to work and a time to rest. There's a time to listen to a sermon and a time to rest. So I'm watching. This is not the time. Some of us don't get enough rest. Anybody know someone that overworks? That might be you. If that's you, here's your memory verse, Psalm 127.2. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, 
to eat the bread of sorrows, for so the Lord gives his beloved sleep. Amen? Okay, that's your memory verse. Now, many of us, when we hear the word rest, we think of sleep. Hello? We think of sleep. The first mention of sleep in the Bible, of course, is when God caused Adam a deep sleep to fall on Adam so that he could remove one of his ribs and make Eve the first woman. People like to joke and say that Adam probably woke up and said, at least it didn't cost me an arm and a leg. <laughs> but <clears throat> that's a bad joke. Now, there are actually critics of the Bible. There are critics of the Bible who point out that it doesn't say that Adam ever woke up. It doesn't say that. So to them, they say it must mean the rest of the story is just his dream. It's just a dream. It's not to be taken literally. And that is the perfect example of someone who is in spiritual unrest. Because as we'll see, the rest God offers us is always a matter of combining the word of God with faith. It's unbelief that leaves you in spiritual unrest. So the first mention of rest in the Bible, as you know, is when God rested on the seventh day after he had completed the work of creation. Let's take a look at it, Genesis 1:31. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Now, how many of you think God rested because he was tired? No. Psalm 121 says, Behold, he who keeps Israel shall never slumber nor sleep. So God never sleeps. He never gets tired. But God rested because he had finished his work of creation. So on the seventh day, he rested, meaning he stopped working, right? And then he declared the seventh day to be holy and commanded the Israelites in the law to observe the Sabbath. But we'll see in Hebrews that the Sabbath day's rest is used symbolically to refer to the spiritual rest that God has for all of us. Because sin has brought unrest. Amen? We can testify to that. Sin has brought unrest, but Jesus came so that we could enter into the rest of God. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So again, we're going to look at what it means to enter God's rest, and we'll see it is a rest that can only be entered by faith. So would you stand to honor God's word this morning as we read from Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, nor being, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, 
For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those whom it was preached, first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been written, Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his, his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let's pray. Father, we pray now that you would open our hearts to receive your word. We want ears to hear what your spirit is saying this morning. We're thankful, God, that you offer us a rest, a spiritual rest in Jesus who came to provide us rest for our souls and the encouragement, even exhortation of Hebrews that we not fall short of it. Lord, help us to see ourselves clearly, to see if that is true of us, and to enter your rest by faith. Even this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So back in chapter 3, the writer of Hebrews introduced the subject of God's rest. And this is the same rest, again, that Jesus promises us. And the key to entering in, in is faith. So what prevents people from entering in is unbelief. And as we looked at in our last study in Hebrews chapter, th chapter 3, unbelief is perpetuated by the deceitfulness of sin. So the warning from chapter 3 is found in verse, verses 12 and 13, if you'd like to look back there. Chapter 12, or excuse me, verse 12 of chapter 3, it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So sin is deceitful. And if we become deceived by sin, it will lead us to suppress the truth about who God is and our need for the rest that only he can provide. The deceitfulness of sin will cause us to harden our hearts, and it will lead us into idolatry and into bondage and ultimately into the corruption of our lives. In Romans 7, Paul calls, calls it the law of sin, which is referring to its unchanging nature. But again, the writer of Hebrews is emphasizing the fact that it is only by faith that we can enter God's rest. Faith and obedience to the truth. So it's important that we understand what this faith is. It's important to understand what this faith is and what it is not. The faith that God calls us to is not just an intellectual assent. It is not just an intellectual agreement, although this is what many in our culture hold to today. The idea that to believe is simply to simply intellectually agreeing. Like when people say, yes, I, I believe that to be true. They may even say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, for example. But it doesn't mean they have biblical faith that leads to a relationship with him. For some, it is merely an intellectual assent and an agreement. 
Biblical faith goes beyond our agreement to trusting and depending on God and his word. It's relying on him and clinging to Jesus while forsaking all other avenues. And that is the kind of faith Jesus is speaking of when he says, those who believe in me will have everlasting life. It's not that you just accept that he lived and died and that he is the son of God. The Bible says the demons believe that. They know it to be true, and it says they tremble. But that is not biblical faith. Biblical faith means you trust in him and you fully rely on what he has done for you on the cross. Look again at chapter 4, verse 1 of Hebrews. It says, therefore, since the promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest. So the picture he uses in the book of Hebrews is the example from the history of God's people. Those who were delivered out of Egypt under Moses, but were kept out of the promised land because of unbelief and disobedience. Unbelief is equated with disobedience just as biblical faith is always combined with obedience to the truth. So the promise remains that anyone can enter God's rest by faith. Anyone who trusts in him, who looks to him alone for the forgiveness of their sins and trusts in him alone for the gift of eternal life, the Bible says if you have that kind of faith, you have entered into God's rest. So what is this rest? What is this rest the Bible promises to true born-again Christians? who have responded to the gospel with the faith that is in Jesus. Obviously, it begins with salvation, but it goes beyond that. It's the rest of God we can experience in our daily lives. But to begin with, God's rest does not mean a ceasing of activity. He's not saying Christians now just sit around and do nothing like they're on a perpetual vacation, right? while at the same time you identify as a follower of Jesus Christ, that's not the idea of having entered God's rest. Christians who understand this are some of the hardest working people on the planet. But they do it with a certain spirit that is marked by the rest of God. John Owen, one of the great Puritan writers, defined God's rest in five ways. He said, number one, rest means peace with God, and a satisfied soul and conscience. In other words, if you live with a tormented conscience, it means that you do not have the peace of God. And you are not walking reconciled to him. You are not experiencing his rest. A tormented conscience only finds rest through repentance and a brokenness over sin, a contrite heart and a godly sorrow that leads to an honest confession before God. I've talked to Christians who know they are sinning, but they also know that they're not broken over their sin. Sometimes we need to ask God to show us our own hearts, amen? We need to ask God to show us why his heart breaks over sin and the sin that enslaves us and separates us from him and corrupts our lives. Rest means you know that you're walking in a right relationship with God. 
and that you're walking reconciled to him and keeping, keeping short accounts. It means you, you're walking in the light as he is in the light, where, where he is then faithful to cleanse us and forgive us and give us rest because we're in fellowship with him. John Owen said, number two, rest means a freedom from bondage and slavery to sin and idolatry. Rest means you can come freely and boldly with confidence and an open heart towards God. It's when freedom comes from slavery and idolatry and addiction that has been brought into the light. The sin of it has been confessed to God and the truth has set us free and God has washed us and cleansed us. And we can come with confidence to his throne of grace. 1 John 3.21 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, in other words, guilty conscience, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask of him, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Again, rest means a freedom from bondage to sin and idolatry. It's the freedom to walk with God. Number three, he said rest also means deliverance from the burden of the ceremonies of the Levitical law. Some people have not allowed themselves to be freed from the burden to adhere to things that God required under the old co covenant with his people. Rest means you know that these things were fulfilled by Jesus Christ, and understanding that brings a freedom to your Christian life. What he calls us to now is the rest from all regulations and the freedom to love one another and to walk worthy of our calling. Ephesians 4 says, I, Paul, therefore the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Colossians 1.9, if you... For this reason, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Then number four, John Owen said, rest means a true freedom in the worship of God according to the gospel. So rest means worshiping God and honoring him in all that you do as you offer yourself as an act of worship. The rest of God is freedom to express your love and devotion to God and worship him in spirit and in truth. In John 4, Jesus said to the woman at the well, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and is, is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the fifth thing John Owen wrote about the rest of God is that it is a rest that God himself enjoys. When I first read that, I was like, What? It's this like, you know, you get this radical thought. The rest that God himself enjoys? What is this rest that God enjoys? Again, it doesn't mean that he is not active or busy. Jesus said in John 5, my father has been working until now and I have been working. So God is 
always at work. Amen? God is very busy. He's working. He's a very involved God. But God works from a rest that he himself enjoys. So God is not working with anxiety. He's not working with worry and fear. I mean, do you think God is anxiously, you know, is anxious in heaven pacing the throne room, saying to, you know, Gabriel and Michael as he's wringing his hands, do you see what's going on down there in, at earth? Do you see what's going on down there? I had everything in, under control. and Everything was going great, and then they, they elected so-and-so. <laughs> or they passed that law, or they, they misappropriated those funds, and, you know, what am I going to do? That's, you know, no, 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 nothing, nothing bothers God. Nothing worries him. He is at perfect peace in perfect rest. It's the state of a satisfied soul, a rest that God himself enjoys, and it's the rest that he has for you and for me. It's the rest that is free from anxiety and a foreboding about uncertainties and about the future. Now, to be honest, it's a rest that we, we struggle to abide in. Amen? We can struggle to abide in this rest because this rest God has for us will only be perfected in heaven. It'll only be perfected in heaven. That's where it's going to be perfected for each and every one of us. So in a sense, this rest that we can enter into and experience in our daily lives, it's like a piece of heaven. It really is. It's like a piece of heaven that God has for us right now. So rest does not mean an easy life. I think we get that. Rest does not mean an easy life. All we have to do to confirm that is look at the life of those we know who have walked with God, who have been followers of Jesus Christ, to confirm that rest does not mean an easy life. The Apostle Paul's life is a great example of that. Many of you know he did not have an easy life. In a few places, he described the things he had experienced, the things that were ordained by God for him to suffer. Things he was called to endure. One place we find a list of Paul's hardships is in 2 Corinthians 11. He said, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of waters in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils from false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. However, as you keep reading Paul's autobiography, as it were, you pick up on the peace of God that he had and a confidence, even a triumph. He was an undefeatable man who said to live is Christ and to die is gain. He was saying, if I live, I live for Jesus. If they kill me, I gain heaven. It didn't matter to him. He had such a peace, such a rest in his soul. The rest made the Apostle Paul an undefeatable man. It's a rest that God has for you and for me. 
Look again at verse 1 in Hebrews 4. He says, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of this rest. He's saying this rest of God is so wonderful, it's so glorious, that we ought to be very concerned if we have come short of it. He's saying that it isn't enough to almost enter in, no, see to it that you do not come short of it in any way. Because many of us, we can be concerned and worried about many things, I know. Many things that go on in our world today. But what about the concern of whether or not you have entered God's rest? That takes a real honest look at ourselves, does it not? It takes an honest look, asking honest questions. Am I living an anxious, worried life? Deprived of peace and joy? Or am I living a conscious, stricken life? Am I living with defeat instead of triumph? If that's you, that is not what God has for you. God has a place of rest for you and for me. And the message of Hebrews is if we're going to be worried about something and greatly concerned, let it be whether or not you've entered into God's rest. This is our birthright as believers in Jesus Christ. Hebrews is telling us that the rest of God is a grace that is available to all who are in the family. And if you aren't walking in it, experiencing it by faith, it should bum you out. We ought to have a determination in our soul that says, God, you've appointed this rest for me as your child. Why don't I have it? The truth is, some people are walking in this rest. But many are not. Many have come short of it in, in some sense. So why is that the case? For some, it means they have never really given their lives to Jesus Christ. They've never truly repented of their sin and put their faith in him. While all along, the message of the gospel is Jesus continually saying to them, I have come into the world to suffer and die on the cross for your sin. I took your punishment upon myself. I satisfied the justice and wrath of God for you. And now I call you to come to me and to trust in me to rely on my finished work of redemption for you so that by faith you can be reconciled to God and enter into his rest. Now someone might say this sounds very exclusive, like there's no other way, no other options, no one else to look to. The Bible would say, bingo, you're, ex you're exactly correct. There is no other way to heaven. There's only one way to be saved, only one way to know God, only one way to be reconciled to him and have everlasting life. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir here, but bear with me, because I, I think we need to be solid in our theology. Amen? Why is there only one way? Because there is only one person who could make the way. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, a sinless man had to die in our place to satisfy God's justice. Amen? Because the justice of God had to condemn sin 
and death and eternal separation from him was the only just penalty. An atoning sacrifice could only make salvation possible. And the only way that could happen is if God reconciled us to himself by sending his son into the world to live a sinless life. So the word became flesh, and he suffered and died. He rose on the third day, conquering sin, conquering death and hell. Now there is no other name under heaven but Jesus by which we can be saved. He said, no one comes to the Father but by me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And God's rest of salvation can only be entered into by faith in the one whom he has sent. So some have not yet entered into because of unbelief. If that's you this morning, you cannot just check the box of, the box of intellectual assent that accepts things to be true, but stops short of biblical faith. Biblical faith that truly trusts and fully relies on Jesus Christ as your Savior. If that's you, the, he, the message of Hebrews is to no longer harden your heart towards God. Do not let sin deceive you. Do not continue in unbelief. Today, if you hear his voice, today is the day of salvation. There's no guarantee that tomorrow will come with another opportunity. Today is your day. Now, there are others of us who have believed, who have entered God's rest of salvation, meaning we have ceased from any work, any more works of self-righteousness. We are no longer trying in any way to work our way to heaven or to justify ourselves thinking we can be good enough. We're done with all that, and in that sense, we have entered the rest of salvation that God has for us by faith. But yet, some may not understand how far God's rest extends, how God's rest extends to their life in the present and their walk with God. Again, the message of Hebrews to all believers is to see that you do not fall short of it. You may have entered into God's rest of salvation, but are you walking in it? Does the rest of, rest of God that is, that is experienced by a continual trust in Jesus extend to your soul? This is about trusting God for who he is, his very nature and character, and his faithfulness to do what he has promised in his word to do. Do you know that there is an attribute of God's character that, is, that if combined with faith provides rest for your soul? and speaks to every trial or hardship or worry or concern that you may have. I was talking with someone recently whose money is running out. Their money is running out. They're unemployed. They need a job. So we talked about God's provision. It is God's nature and character to provide and care for and sustain his creation, and especially those who are in Christ Jesus who have put their trust in him. God's provision is in perfect harmony with his goodness, with his wisdom, with his foreknowledge. And it means not only has he, did he already see that you had this need coming, his provision means he already had a plan and a means for how he was going to take care of you. The question is, do I enter his rest by faith? Do I believe it? 
Am I trusting in him with all of my heart? Notice in verse 2, he gives the example of those who heard the word of God. They heard what God had in store for them, but they couldn't enter in because of unbelief. It says it did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. This means that hearing God's word is not enough. It's not just hearing, but we have to receive it by faith, and then we must act on it and obey the truth. The word of God must be combined with faith and obedience. Reminds me of the the song we sang in Sunday school when I was a kid, Trust and Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. I think that might be the, the, the children's song that is the most theologically right on. It's amazing. Someone said for the word of God to be mixed with faith is just like, it's like just tasting food. But then some don't swallow. Some don't digest it so that it becomes part of who they are. Without com- combining it with faith and obedience, the spiritual opportunity and privilege will do them no good. They will not benefit. But the emphasis in Hebrews is that the rest of God is entered into by faith. Faith is the key. It's not by religious ceremonies. It's not by church attendance. It's not even by service or sacrifice or good works. It's by faith. It's by trust and obedience. Proverbs says to trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart means not a divided heart. It means all your heart. It means I'm trusting in the Lord for everything that is needed always. And I've got nothing else, no idols in my life that I look to instead of him. All my heart. I think our most common go-to idol is ourselves. We look to ourselves to save ourselves sometimes. We look to ourselves to figure things out. We consult ourselves for solutions, and we forget about the Lord. And we end up in unrest instead of the rest of God that is entered into by faith. I also think if we stop praying... If we're not asking God for what is needed, are we really trusting? Or have we stopped trusting? Someone may, may say, I believe God will provide what is, whatever is needed. But I would ask them, have you prayed? Have you asked him to provide it? The rest of God and the peace God wants to give us comes by the prayer of faith that puts its trust in the Lord. Jesus said to his disciples when when he said, abide in me, he was saying, follow me, receive from me, rely and depend on me like a branch that needs to stay attached to the vine, otherwise it will die. But then in John 15, immediately following his words, he explains what abide looks like. John 15, verse 7, "If if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you may bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Jesus said to them, abiding means asking. Pray for what is needed. 
The path to God's rest and peace comes by faith that is asked up in prayer. Notice Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Again, the rest of God is entered into by faith that trusts and asks in prayer. It trusts and it asks, it receives and gives thanks and surrenders to God's will and to God's sovereignty. Now, you may have noticed something else in Hebrews 4. God is saying, it is my rest. So God's rest, it belongs to him. It's the rest God himself enjoys. The rest he enjoyed when he finished the work of creation. He rested because he had finished creating, and what he created he declared to be good. It's the same rest that Adam and Eve enjoyed. When God walked in the garden with them in the cool of the day, they enjoyed God's presence. They enjoyed God's goodness and his faithfulness and his loving kindness. There was no fear at that time. There was no anxiety, no, no worry, no doubt. There was perfect rest with God as they went about the work that he gave them to do. This is the rest God wants to restore to every one of us. This is the same rest that Jesus offers us. It's the rest for our souls that is marked by peace, a cleansed conscience, a confident assurance, and a triumph in our lives. And it's entered into by faith, which simply, mean, simply means we will have it when we're trusting Jesus as we should be. So we can be glad that the test for entering into God's rest isn't how knowledgeable you are. It isn't how intelligent you are. And it's not only for those whose past has been morally pure. Aren't we glad that God didn't tack on some other requirement that may exclude some of us who couldn't attain to it? He says, no, it's by faith. That makes God's rest available to all. Everyone can Everyone here can decide to put their trust in him. Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, meaning weighed down. All you who are weighed down, I will give you rest for your soul. In his best-selling book, Gentle and Lowly, author Dane Ortland expounds on this verse from Matthew 11. He says, and I quote, who qualifies for fellowship with Jesus? It says all who labor and are heavy laden. Do you need to unburden or collect yourself and then come to Jesus? Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. Excuse me, you don't need to unburden or collect yourself. Your very burden is what qualifies you to come. No payment is required. He says, I will give you rest. His rest is a gift, not a transaction. Whether you are actively working hard to crowbar your life into smoothness, that's labor, or passively finding yourself weighed down by something outside of your control, that's heavy laden, 
Jesus Christ's desire that you find rest, that you come in out of the storm, outstrips your own. Gentle and lowly is Christ's very heart. This is who he is, tender, open, welcoming. This is who he is for those who come to him, who take his yoke upon them, who come to him for help. He promises here, his promise here is rest for your souls. My yoke is easy needs to be very carefully understood. Jesus is not saying life is free of pain or hardship, but he's really saying that the yoke laid on his disciples is a non-yoke. His yoke is kind and his burden is light. That is, his yoke is a non-yoke and his burden is a non-burden. What helium does to a balloon, Jesus' yoke does to his followers. I love that. We are buoyed along in life by his endless gentleness and supremely accessible lowliness. He doesn't simply meet us at our place of need. He lives in our place of need. He never tires of sweeping us into his tender embrace. It is, it is his very heart. It is what gets him out of bed in the morning. Don't you love that? Gentle and lowly. The great book. Back to Hebrews 4. Look again at verses 6 through 9. It says, Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time, as it has been said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There, there, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. So God's offer extends to today. It is a rest that is spiritual, but is, it is patterned after the rest that God gave his people under Joshua. The book of Joshua gives the account of God's people entering the promised land. They had come out of Egypt, and a whole, but a whole generation had perished in the desert, as you may remember. A whole generation had perished due to unbelief. And then a new generation is brought into the promised land under Joshua. And the whole story teaches us a spiritual truth, that the man of unbelief must die so that the new man of faith may be led in by our Joshua, amen, namely Jesus, into the promised land of God's rest. Now, many of you know the names Joshua and Jesus are the same names in different languages. It goes from Joshua in the Hebrew to Jesus in the Greek. Both mean Jehovah, our salvation. Yet Jesus, the Son of God, is far better and greater than Joshua in that he leads us into a far better and greater rest than Joshua ever did. And the Old Testament has many pictures of the greater spiritual rest that would come that is only found by faith in Jesus Christ. For example, the land of Canaan, the promised land, that, that was a picture of this rest. The Sabbath day was a picture of this rest. The year of Jubilee was a picture of this rest. They were all pictures and indicators of a reality that would come. And now this spiritual rest 
is not about going to a special place. It's not about a special day of the week. It's found by following our Joshua, Jesus, into the spiritual rest of God by faith. So listen, I think, it, I think we must be careful not to pretend that we have entered God's rest. If the truth is that we have not, if the truth is we really lack his peace, if we lack his joy, we need to be honest. Because we can put on a happy face, right? We can say everything is fine. We can hide behind appearances. I've met Christians who act like they are on top of the world. Only to find out sometimes their soul is not at rest. And they are worried and they become anxious and they lack the peace of God in their life. Hebrews says we ought to be very concerned if we have fallen short of God's rest. The Bible talks about, excuse me, the Bible does talk about those who are truly on top of the world, so to speak. They are called overcomers. Overcoming the world is always a matter of faith and obedience to the word of God. Someone pointed out that Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but fear not, I have overcome the world. So if you want rest, you want to be on top of the world and live as an overcomer, reach up and by faith and take the hand of the overcomer and abide in him. Amen? He will give you rest for your soul. Notice verse 10, for he who has entered this rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. He's not saying that when you enter this rest you cease from good works, as I mentioned. Again, the fact is that you may do more good works than ever before. But you stopped from self-justifying works. We must cease from doing anything thinking God will love me more or I'm doing things to be sure he will accept me into heaven or somehow I can make up for my sins. Those kinds of, that type of works must cease. Works of self-righteousness. But only good works that come from faith must continue having entered God's rest. And finally, in conclusion, verse 11 says, let us therefore be diligent to enter in. So this means we're not going to fall just fall into God's rest. We need to choose to enter in and to trust him. It sounds a little bit like a contradiction, I know. Be diligent to enter into rest? Think of the illustration of riding a bicycle. At first, we had to be diligent to learn. We had to be diligent so as to not to fall over. We had to concentrate. But once we learned, we then enjoyed the ride. Amen? That's when we really enjoyed the ride. Warren Wiersbe said, when we come to Christ by faith, we find salvation rest. When we yield and learn of him and obey, his, obey him by faith, we enjoy submission rest. The first is peace with God. The second is the peace of God. It is by believing that we enter into rest. It is by obeying God by faith and surrendering to his will that rest enters into us. Amen? Would you stand and pray with me as the worship team comes out? <clears throat>
Father, we pray for anyone here who has not entered into God's rest of salvation. Today is the day. We pray that they would take that step, leap of faith, and put their trust in you, Lord Jesus. You who are gentle and lowly and receive us to forgive us and cleanse us, wash us, and fill us with your Spirit. For we who have believed, Lord, we want to walk in that rest. Help us to see our own hearts, to be honest with you. Lord, you are, again, gentle and lowly. The rest for our souls that only you can provide. Lord, give us your rest this morning. Refresh us with your rest that comes by faith and by trust. We love you, Lord, and we want, our, we want to reach up and, and, and take your hand once again. You have overcome the world. Psalmist said, you hold me by, by, by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will receive me to glory. Thank you, Lord, for your rest. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.